episode 16 of Rainbow Pridecast. I'm your host, Danielle Dupuis, and I use the pronouns she, her, hers. Um, today, I am joined by Uma Ribeiro. Hi, um, I'm Uma, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. Today, we're joined by soon-to-be Howard High School senior, Zachary Kong. Welcome, Zachary. Hi, thanks for having me. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm a soon-to-be senior, yeah. Um, so I just wanted to know a bit about the campaigning process. So um, tell us a bit about what it was like campaigning for student member of the board and how long was the process? Mm-hmm. So a little bit about me and why I decided to run is that I was a delegate at the mob convention last year. So think of that like a primary where you narrow down however many candidates there are to the two finalists that we uh, see and vote for on the TV in classrooms. So um, I thought the conversations that we were having weren't hitting the crucial needs of students. And I'm talking about financial literacy, mental health, and, and, and backing of racial and, and really just equity in our schools. So I decided that I would join that fight. So I filled out my application. This would have been back in January. It feels so long ago because of what's happening right now. But um, I filled out my application in January. I attended the SMOP convention, this time on the other side as a candidate, and fortunately came out as one of the top two. So we went from 11 to 2. And then I started the campaigning about a week later after they reviewed all the rules with us. And we, uh, my campaign team, which is actually uh, two former SMOB candidates are also on that team. But we worked to set up an Instagram. We, I reformed my Twitter to make that my like, SMOB Twitter. And so I've ever since, I've, I've mostly just been focusing on uh, how best we can reach students, especially during this time, because of the uh, closure of schools and how they've changed the voting process. It's it's a lot of what we're doing now is not necessarily Zach for Smob, but getting out the vote to make sure that everyone has a voice and everyone has representation and the sole student member that represents all 60,000 of us. What kind of inspired you to run for student member of the board? So um, last year I was in the independent research course at Howard High School. So that's a course where you get to choose your own topic and research research that topic extensively throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And I chose to research the flaws of the United, United States educational system and comparing mm-hmm. that to other educational systems around the world. And so what I found was nowhere near surprising to me about the the real need for mental health services in this country and the need for them as soon as possible. And what I also noticed is the need for financial literacy and life skills training, which what I mean by that is, you know, I, I, I did a quick demonstration at the convention and I think it really just hits, hits the mark there. So if you know the Pythagorean theorem or Shakespeare, just, just think to yourself, the answer is probably yes at some point. But then again, mm-hmm. do you know how to do your taxes. Do you know how to do the crucial things that students will need to do, especially seeing the devastation with the coronavirus um, and the econ- economic collapse that's going to follow. It's really crucial that right. we come out of school with the necessary, the necessary skills to succeed and to succeed as a generation. So after that research project, that's what really uh, set the ground for me. And then attending the convention, I noticed that the things that I was researching weren't lining up with, the, with what a lot, a lot of the candidates were saying. So that's why I decided to uh, run for the board. That's so interesting. Oh, that's... Fantastic. And, you know, you bring up some really, you bring up some really good points. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 40. So a little, I have a little bit of a, a few numbers on you there, but um, you know, when I was in school, one of the requirements was a home ec class. 
Um, you know, I know that we have a foods class now, you know, where you can take that. I believe mm-hmm. that's optional, right? So you don't necessarily have to take it. Is that correct? Uh, it's an elective. Yeah. Okay. We also have a similar course in uh, middle schools. Okay. Yes. Um, but I remember, you know, having part of home economics was that you learned other basic skills other than cooking for yourself, uh, which was um, sewing. So we learned how to kind of sew and uh, different things like that. And I think those things are valuable skills, but I think you're right too on the financial literacy aspect. Um, and one of the things that I try to tell my students is I usually walk in with like a, a real life story, um, you know, sometimes every day, sometimes once a week. Um, but, uh, you know, you're going to graduate high school, you're going to graduate college, and you're going to move on and you're going to forget a lot of the stuff that you learned in school. That's just kind of the nature of it. If you don't use it, you kind of forget it, but you're going to remember the stories and the real world application of things that are going to come back to you. And you're going to remember and say, Oh yeah, I remember when, you know, Mr. Smith mentioned this, you know, that I might have this experience um, as an adult. And um, I know one of the times when I realized that I was lacking um, was when as a homeowner, I went to put an addition on my house and, um, you know, I saw this guy came in and gave me an estimate. You know, I did what you're supposed to do. got a couple different estimates and, um, I kind of signed the contract and went with it. Um, and it turned out that he was not really who he said he was. He had used a false contract. Um, and I lost a lot of money. Um, and then I, you know, I went to court And, um, however, I didn't, even though, you know, I, it was voted in favor for me, um, I didn't get any of the money back. Uh, so I just kind of like lost out on, on lots of money, um, for work that never happened. And then I had to repair anyway. But my point being is that if I was educated to the point where somebody told me that there's a Maryland home improvement contractor, um, you know, there's a guarantee fund and, I could have done a little bit of research and used criminal search and found out that, Hey, you know, this guy has a record. I probably shouldn't hire him if this, if he has a, you know, is known for taking advantage of people, you know what I mean? Um, but that's just kind of like real world skills that, uh, I think that, you know, would be beneficial to talk about just so people are aware. Uh, sorry, I went off way on a tangent on there. Um, that happened to you, but, you know, this is one of the stories that we hear about. You know, we, we don't know about how many other stories are there that we're not hearing about and um, how many other stories are there where the, the economic devastation and the amount of money that is lost is so, so large that it, it, it really leaves an impact on, the, on families and how they're able to raise their kids. So, yeah, yeah I, think definitely. I think it's really important. And it's, it's I think especially financial literacy, it's a bipartisan issue. I don't think that it's it's necessarily an issue on either side of the political spectrum. I think the large majority mm-hmm. of people can get behind it. And something that I talk about on my campaign live streams that I do is financial literacy and mental health are both equity issues. They're, they're, they're solely based in the root of equity. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is the people who need financial literacy knowledge and resources the most are typically the ones who cannot afford it. Second, what we also know from financial literacy is that financial literacy in schools reduces, and studies show this, it reduces the amount of poverty 
and generations to come. So if we can start lifting people out of poverty, I think that's also a great way to move forward. And mm-hmm. you know, talking about mental health, and specifically for the LGBTQIA community, we know that the LGBTQIA community is disproportionately affected by mental health challenges. And so that's what, it's, it's <laughs> crucial that we have the resources and knowledge in schools so that we, we, we can start to undo these disproportionate lasting effects that have happened for generations now. And why do you think, um, you know, in your research that you found, why why is it um, that LGBTQIA plus uh, people in general have are at a greater risk for these for mental health issues? So my research, I didn't uh, deeply dive into that, but what I've and for my research now, and as a, as a want want to be student member of the board, an understanding of of the community and how certain policies will affect community. Um, so what I, what I can understand is that, and this is a part of GLSEN as well, curriculum needs to be a mirror and a window. A window meaning students can see other identities and other cultures, and then a mirror meaning they see themselves reflected in that curriculum. So I think, well, one, we need an inclusive curriculum, and I think that would help. Two is we also need to expand expand access to GSAs and Saga clubs, where mm-hmm. students who do not have supportive parents or a supportive family have somewhere to go and an outlet to go to. So I think those are two really big crucial steps that that are simple and that are, are very straightforward that can easily and will make an impact. Yeah, I agree. There's definitely the need to, um, to expand on clubs like that. And um, Ms. Dupuy and I were actually on one of our um, one of the other podcasts. Uh, we realized that there's now more saga clubs within middle schools. And when I was in middle school, I didn't even have a saga club. So there's been some changes in the last few years and it needs to continue. Yeah. I mean, it, it just highlights a fundamental, a fundamental flaw in the way that we educate students, because if we can start educating yeah. students to be more inclusive and to be better versions of uh, to be a better, uh, better part of a bigger functioning society that is inclusive and accepting of all, then those those kids will grow up to be parents, and then if and, and be more accepting to their children. So if we the, the earlier we start, the better it will be. Definitely, mm, I completely sure. agree. And what um, you know, so you mentioned about the uh, being part of the GT inter or uh, independent research. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of how, what turned you into, uh, you know, focusing on this and really a great example of how uh, being part of that program kind of opens doors and kind of gives new ideas and insights. And, um, I'm, you know, I just want to give you a pat on the back virtually here uh, for kind of turning that into something really positive, um, kind of seeing a gap and stepping forward and, realizing, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm in a position where I can create change and just kind of putting it out there and going for it. And I think that that's what uh, every teacher really hopes to see for their students is um, just kind of taking what you learn and applying it and uh, running with it. So props to you, Zach, for, for taking that on. Um, what other leadership roles have you been involved in along the way? Mm-hmm. So um, my mom always says I've been destined for leadership, but I, I really don't. I really don't want to put the emphasis on leadership. My goal has always been to help people and really just do the dirty work, or not the dirty work, but you know, get down and do do the necessary work and fight the good fight to help people. But um, to talk about my leadership experience, um, my every year that I've been in high school, I've ran 
for one of the SGA presidents. So my freshman year, I ran for my freshman class president. I lost mm-hmm. that election and then served in the uh, SGA just as a general member. My sophomore year, I ran as the, again, as the sophomore class president. I ended up winning that position and worked with some of my closest friends, friends that um, have actually helped me on this campaign is I've worked to help, uh, help set up homecoming and prom for the junior, homecoming for a, for the, us underclassmen and then a prom for the juniors and seniors. And then also within that year, and this is also where it ties into my call for financial literacy is I am a part of the Future Business Leaders of America at Howard mm-hmm. School, which is our second largest CTSO, which is a club that basically a nationalized club that works to that works to further a mission and vision that with an FBLA is to give students a business and financial perspective. So I was the, I then actually was the fundraising coordinator for that club and raised um, between two and $3,000 that year to help fund students who couldn't afford to go to the state's trip to help them be able to go and to then also help other students who were, or help all students by reducing the cost. So I did that. Then now approaching the junior year, I ran for the executive president of Howard High School, which means that it's all of the, the grade levels, not just one class. And uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it was a good race. I ended up losing that one. And uh, on the positive side, I then also was the first junior ever at Howard High School to be the FBLA president. So I, I was the first junior to be that president, and I've worked with it through this year, you know, through the coronavirus. And unfortunately, our state trip was canceled, but uh, it would have been great to see. But those are a few of my leadership experiences. Um, I helped co- coordinate both walkouts at my school following the uh, Parkland Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, I've attended uh, marches in D.C. for both Parkland and the climate strike. And then most recently, I attended the uh, Howard County for Floyd, and actually I'm going to Baltimore again tomorrow. Wow. You're very, uh, I like that you're <clears throat> involved and um, using your voice and showing up for action. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, me too. That's very important, especially um, from young people. Yeah. And you know, if we, if we learn anything from 2016, and I don't mean to get political, but it is young people in this country need to turn out and vote. It is so mm-hmm. cool that we Yeah, honestly. And um, especially especially turning out and making sure that we, we are informed voters because, you know, mm-hmm. we need to know who, who's best representing our interests and who's not, who's, who's moving us forward and who's moving us backwards. So I think we need to look at it in all perspectives. Who is, who is someone that's going to fight for racial justice? Who's someone that's going to fight for the LGBTQ community? Who's someone who's going who's gonna to fight the good fight? You know what I mean? So yeah. we really need to mm-hmm. be an informed voter. And, and that's, I think, something that gives me hope that our generation is now becoming politically active. I think that gives me hope that, and with the rise of technology that will uh, move somewhere forward with this, with this, uh, this country's politics. Yeah. And I, I agree. And I think one thing to uh, recognize too, is that even if, you know, there may be laws in place now that protect us, that, you know, having someone in office that doesn't have, you know, your best interest at heart, those things could easily change. Mm-hmm. Um, we could easily go backwards. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. It's so crucial, especially on the local level, because um, local politics are typically what the, what does the most for 
what does the most for people and especially in our education system. And if you want to learn more, go to board docs and, and, or even just go to uh, Carrie's website and see what board members support what and see who really is an advocate for the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny that Absolutely. you mentioned that because uh, Ms. Dupuy and I were actually, uh, when we interviewed Carrie, we actually saw the responses. Um, and to, for me, at least when reading that, it was honestly shocking. Uh, like I wasn't surprised, but I was just very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it goes to show you that we need advocates for justice and advocates for all people. And yeah. um, I've actually supported board candidates before. I helped on the campaigns of Jen Mallow and Sabina Taj, who both I think are fierce advocates for all people. There was a, a member that was, you know, kind of withdrawn after, you know, bringing things to the forefront. And it made me start thinking about, Uh, what are the qualifications that people have? Like, are they vetted before they're able to run for office? Or does it just matter like who has enough money and can get enough supporters to, um, you know, put themselves out there? Mm -hmm. And, and I think it's, um, so I I think I know which candidate you're talking about, but if you look at the primary results, uh, that candidate still got in the hundreds of votes. So Mm -hmm. it's still, it's, 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 it's deeply concerning. That's after he dropped out. So, um, but to continue on that point, um, there is no qualification vetting. There's no legal qualification experience, to my knowledge, that that a candidate has to go through before filing. And um, I think that it's that it's important that candidates do so. But I think it would uh, setting in some like legal requirements would set a scary precedent of uh, of the of the current government being able to limit who runs for the next government. So I just think mm-hmm. it's a scary precedent. But I think onto your point about money is money is so deeply ingrained in politics and you can tie this back to Buckley v. Valio, McConnell v. FEC, all these big important court cases that basically allow unlimited unchecked funding. So um, there's the, that some of the candidates that are looking being funded, all their funding data is public. But if you look into see who's funding their campaign, you'll really understand because who do they, whose interest do they have at heart? Is it with the students? Is it with the people? Or is it with the people that are funding them and putting them in the office in the first place? Right. Hmm. You're so knowledgeable about this. I mean, it's obviously that, you know, that you've really been doing your research, um, which is impressive of, you know, I think a lot of time we get uh, adults kind of are a little bit ageist, you know, as far as like, oh, well, you know, these are just kids or uh, they haven't lived a full life yet. But um, I I love having uh, students on to kind of, you know, defy those uh, misconceptions. Um, so thanks for doing all that, Zach. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's, you know, I, as I said, as I said before, I'm just trying to fight the good fight and really move this country forward. Um, when I, when I want to leave, when I leave this world, I want to leave a behind a better one for my kids. That's awesome. Um, and it's very forward thinking of you already at age 16, you know, uh, to think that way too. What advice would you give to other students who want to get involved in similar leadership, leadership positions? Um, this is a great question. I've actually got this question a few times now. And my best advice is be genuine, be real, mean what you say and say what you mean. Understand the people you are trying to serve, understand their needs, understand their wants, understand what do they want to see in a leader? If you can understand the people and be real, I think, I think you're already so far ahead of the, uh, other candidates who aren't necessarily 
putting out that best foot forward. So I think that's a simple word of advice. Just be real, mean what you say, say what you mean. When you say anything, expect it to be public. When I, when I, when I talk with people in private, I'm expecting if that conversation goes public, am I okay with what I'm saying? So, I mean, mm-hmm. if you can live by that and say that what I say, I stand by, and what I, and what I mean, I say by, then I, th- I think you're you're already there with the, the genuine, and people will see that. that. That shines through. Wow. Well, you can't see me, but I'm, like, nodding. <laughs> That's great advice. Thank you. And I think you're also making an assumption that uh, a lot of people in politics have consciences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Not necessarily true. Yeah. Um, hopefully. So hopefully um, people with a uh, good conscience and um, good values and moral values and moral code mm-hmm. um, will be authentic. Cause I, I think what's the most frustrating is when um, candidates say what they think people want to hear mm-hmm. and then they don't have like a belief um, or a good code. And then when they take office, they go back on their word um, and then kind of just, uh, you know, don't do what they said that we're going to do. And I think that that's, that's the most frustrating. It, it really is. And it, it ties into the fact that money is so deeply ingrained in politics and money, sh- and money should not be a part of politics because it just goes, oh, I'm going to say something to you because I'm pandering for your vote, but then I'm going to go back to my corporate interests who are funding my campaign and funding my mm-hmm. retirement after I leave office. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a part of a very concerning narrative of how politics are in this country and how leaders are in this country where true leaders don't step, true leaders aren't stepping forward and running for those key positions. And instead it's the, the same old, same old, big funded corporate PAC money type of politicians who uh, are, don't have your best interests at heart. Mm-hmm. And I think it also says a lot too, um, you know, as a voter, some of the things that I'm looking for is how involved are, you know, the people that are going to be in these positions of power. Um, and, you know, they're saying that they're representing uh, certain uh, diverse groups or what have you, and yet they've never participated up until that point in doing the work, yeah. you know, um, they want to take the credit. They don't want to do the work. And, you know, Zach, one of the things that, you know, that I've been aware of, with you is that I've seen you, you know, be involved in taking part in our HOCO Rainbow Conference and being involved in uh, justice for for um, Howard County for justice. And then also, um, I noticed that you were on a forum um, for uh, Asian American students. So you're really, um, you know, a good voice for your community. And I think uh, I think that that's fabulous uh, to be involved um, like that. So it's nice to see that you're walking the walk and not just talking the talk. Um, and, uh, speaking of which, um, how do you plan on continuing to be a voice for your community, um, in the future after SMOB? Mm -hmm. So, um, after this election, win or lose, you'll see me. Um, I'm going to be back. Um, me and my campaign manager actually have uh, actually he's a close friend of mine now, Alex Horn. He goes to Wild Lake, but we have we're both very politically involved at the Big Fighters for Justice. But we actually have some plans and we have some um, plans in place about what we are what we're planning on doing after this election and how we can move the ball forward politically. So there's some plans in place. I can't really talk more, in more detail about that just yet, but um, 
I tend to go to uh, go to college. I'm looking at UCLA, UC Berkeley, some of the bigger bigger name schools out on the West Coast. This is just happen to be the best for poli sci. I plan to go to school for poli sci, and then I um, want to come back to Maryland since we're so close to DC. And you know, someday run for president. Is that, that's kind of what I want to do. Wow! All right, big plans. Yeah, big plans. That's awesome. Uh, what is the first thing you plan to do if you become the student member of the board? Mm-hmm. So if I become the student member of the board by, and I'm, I, I, the results get released on Wednesday. So if this is after Wednesday, we'll have known. But um, the first thing that I plan to do is one, well, I, there's only one. Uh, I want to uh, thank everyone that had propelled me to the point. I want to thank everyone on my team, everyone who shared, shared on their story about the campaign, everyone who went out, turned out to vote. That's the first thing I plan on doing. First, policy-wise, is to continue to educate myself. Um, just with what we've seen, what we're seeing right now, I uh, just read "How to Be an Anti-Racist" by Ibram X. Kendi and Stamped Racism, Anti-Racism, and You. The latter, which was recommended by Jen Mallow, current Board of Ed member, I highly recommend anyone listening. Please read those books. It's a really good book about how how we talk about race in America and and the, the real history of race. But I I want to continue to educate myself because. I'm going to be an informed voter on the board of ed. I'm not going to vote on a policy if I don't understand that, if I do not understand the impact it will have on a given community. So I want to continue to educate myself, and that means on, on in ESOL, uh, educate myself on ESOL communities, uh, Asian American communities such as my own, the LGBTQIA community, the African American community, really all the communities that are disproportionately be affected and marginalized right now, so I can understand how how best how best to uh, vote on given policies and how they will leave the impacts on, on uh, students like you and me. And I think that's good advice for anybody um, is to kind of inform yourself of other cultures and other subgroups um, other than your own. Cause I think that what happens is when we uh, lack understanding for other people, we lack empathy um, and then you know, disapproval and hatred start to creep in and change who we are. Um, so I think if we take a step back and, and work towards that um, self-improvement, uh, I think that that's super important. And we kind of really need to talk about that more um, as educators, as students, as, um, you know, as general people, uh, kind of reaching outside the box and outside the comfort zone and uh, re- uh, visiting the way we see things or have been taught to see things. You uh, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last, yeah. just as a example, last would have been August. Well, the August, um, me and one of my friends who actually works in the campaign, we were chosen by our high school administration so that we would sit on interviews. So we interviewed five people and we actually had full voting, right? Like we each voted. So it was, it was completely transparent and completely full. Um, but we both voted on teachers that we thought would best represent the community and best best be representative for all students. And one of those teachers, which I think ha- I, I remember, is she said, interrogate our biases. We really need to look down mm-hmm. and understand what our biases are before we can before we can start to break down those barriers and and really understand what those bi- understand how we can better ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's fabulous, and I think that's awesome. And Super cool of your school to have uh, student involvement in something like that. Um, what what exactly were you voting on? 
So it was, we, there was two, two, uh, in this case, English, English teaching spots that were open. And so Mm -hmm. there was five, there was five, um, like potential people who were interviewed and it was, there was two students and four adults in the room. And we each like, it wasn't that we were there. For, it, it seemed to me, and it wasn't there that we weren't there for like a photo op or to say that we were there. They, they, our opinions were valued. We asked questions. And then at the very end, we all voted on who's our favorite. And that's how we determined who would uh, get that job. That is so cool. I have to say, I have never, um, well, I've only interviewed for jobs a couple of times. Cause I've, I, uh, have stayed where I've been because I've loved it so much. Um, but you know, I've never been on an interview where there have been students present, and that is super genius. So props to your uh, principal um, and administration at Howard for thinking of that. That's really cool. That should be kind of like a something that everybody considers doing. Yeah, I think it, I think it should be really a lot bigger so that. You know, students need to, students should have input on every level of the process. And I think, uh, Uma, as you're here and seeing other students being so active, it really shows that students were serious and we're not here just, you know, we mean it and we're here because we want to make a difference. So if we can give students nice. leadership, those, those spots to help and have leadership at every student leadership at every level of the process, I think uh, the, the uh, connotation around student leadership will uh, be significantly better. Yes, definitely. I think more more people, more adults need to realize how important student voices can be. Thinking about when I was a kid and a student and then a college graduate, um, one of the things that I really lacked was um, the experience and a lot of you know places that are looking to hire good employees, what they want to see is they want to see job experience. And uh, for me, what was lacking in my high school and college experience was the fact that nobody told me, hey, you know what, you should do an internship, you should check this out, see if you like it, get that kind of experience. Because once you leave college, you leave high school, leave college, you know, you're thrown out there into the world of work. It's like everywhere you apply, it's like, okay, well, we want to see what experience do you have. And very few places, you know, are just like, okay, well, let's hire this kid fresh out of college. Um, but if you can say like, hey, I've been involved in this and I've done this internship and this research, that really goes uh, in your favor uh, in the long run. Yeah. And um, something that I think is more even even more crucial is right now. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing devastating amounts of high and, and high unemployment rates. I think I just saw the number 13.3%. For May and and over forty million people out of jobs and ha- filing for unemployment, mm-hmm. and um, I, I don't remember the exact statistic, but it, I was looking at it and it said along the lines of almost forty percent of the jobs that have been lost aren't coming back. Mm-hmm. So it just shows it goes to show you that the job pool is decreasing, which means that the amount of candidates applying will be increased. So the competition's higher. And it's just going to really reinforce the needs for the the internships the research the leadership mm-hmm. and so I don't um, I don't know if Uma you've been through it yet but there's world of work which is done at uh, every high school in the county and it's it's basically like a, a little like job mock job uh, mock job interview and you uh, it's I'll say it's interesting I don't think it, it, it's, I think it's a right step forward and a right idea. I think the implementation could go a little better and a little bit further. They have you build a resume. 
and uh, you know get dressed and like get all fancy looking and and uh, fake do an interview. But you know, I think it's it just calls the need for more of this and more more training for students to when they be out in the real working world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely the need for more, especially um, like you said at a time like this. And yeah, I'm going to be doing World of Work uh, next year, my junior year. But I'm just really glad because I've already taken um, intern mentor. Like you said, you, you've taken independent research. And I'm really glad classes like that already exist in high school. Yeah. And it, Those are it shows, Yeah. And it also shows that although SMOB cannot vote on funding, and uh, although I can, ex- I, I think if we're uh, looking at it, um, and since Montgomery County and Anne Arundel County, their student member of the board has full funding. And for those who don't know, the Howard County student member of the board is limited on probably the three biggest things, mm-hmm. redistricting, funding, and personnel. Hmm. So uh, I can't talk about, well, I can't talk about funding. I just won't be able to vote on it. But um, funding, I think we need to expand funding into those programs. One, increase the educational budget because we need to be investing in our future, yeah. investing in an equity budget, uh, refunding the DEI, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Office mm-hmm. under the Board of Ed. Mm-hmm. Um, very technology, we need to close, we need to increase funding so we can close that opportunity gap. But there's a lot of things that we can do with funding but with students, uh, students' voice being limited on that on that decision, it's a uh, kind of you know like a, a smack in the face to student leadership. But um, hmm. with Montgomery County and Anne Arundel switching, or Montgomery County and Anne Arundel having full voting rights, I think it's just uh, just time before Howard County makes that really important call to move the students have a full seat at the table, and not something that students look as a photo op because if I've learned anything from running for SMOB, it's people do not have faith in the in the SMOB position. They feel like it's a it's just there, and it does, they don't really do anything that's really important. But um, to, to tie it all back, it just shows you that we really need to increase the funding to programs such as independent research and intern mentor, especially because those Definitely. have a lot lower class ratio than other classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having more and more opportunities for students to take on leadership roles. And again, I really love that idea of having students there uh, for interview process because um, ideally, you know, the whole purpose of a teacher being there in a school building is to educate students. So um, what better way to see how a teacher would interact with students um, than to have students present in an interview? I mean, it seems pretty obvious now thinking back on it, doesn't it? Um, So having students kind of stepping up into these different leadership roles and, uh, you know, being more present, I think definitely also shows other students that, hey, you know, this is uh this is another opportunity or I'm valued. Um, you know, I can raise my voice. I will be heard. Um, because that's, that's one thing that I think a lot of students kind of shy away from is, um, speaking with educators, like students will kind of communicate with each other because they feel more comfortable among peers and, um, you know, having students, there that can speak for those other students is so important. Yeah. It, 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 I think it also plays, it, I feel like in the long run, it will also boost morale because, you know, the, the students help choose the staff. It's, it builds that what so many schools want to call their family. And so if, if we, if we have more people in, involved in, in choosing that family, I think it'll uh, be more effective in the long run as well. What do you think about LGBTQ plus visibility in schools? And when I say visibility, I mean visibility of um, support, uh, recognition, um, alliance, advocacy, 
etc. So what I think we need to see is one again that the expansion of GSAs and sagas because I think that that one increases visibility. Second, we need to have more inclusive. Uh, we need to have the staff understand so they can be more inclusive of all students. Mm-hmm. And what I also think we should do is in the curriculum, it should be integrated to the curriculum. That's when we learn about mental health and health classes, that we learn about the disproportionality that LGBTQIA plus students face when it comes to mental health challenges so that students can really understand that it is no joking matter. It is, it is, it is not cool. It, it's, it's not okay to go, oh, you're so gay. Because as some like, I don't know, game, gamer culture, as, 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 I, as I hear so often. And so, yeah. and, and we really need to do more. And I, I also think that when we, and this I, this I got from the Rainbow Conference, but um, we sh- there should be no like LGBTQIA section of the library. It should just be the library, you know what I mean? Like it shouldn't be separated all part of itself as if it's something crazy. It should be, it just, it, it, LGBTQ books are books. Mm-hmm. Just, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So separating yeah, them. Is, yeah, separating them is just increasing that stigma and, 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 and really just going in ahead and throwing up another bar and another wall of separation to, uh, to the communities. So we can see increased, increased sagas and GSAs, more inclusive staff, better curriculum, and really educate students about their impacts. I, I think we'll move the ball forward on that visibility. You know, I'm curious just because, you know, I am a librarian, um, but I think what you're referring to is, uh, and I don't, I was not in on that session um, just because I was facilitating uh, so many others, but um, I think what you're referring to is uh, genrefication, it's called, um, yeah. where some schools, not all, I don't really believe it's common practice in Howard County, um, but I do know uh from teaching uh, graduate students that it's going on in many libraries um, and it's big talk right now um, that what some libraries are doing is taking out um, like books, all the science fiction books and kind of like putting them in one area. Um, And my daughter's school does this um, where they take like all of the uh, mystery books and put them in one area. And um, personally, I'm, not, I'm not for it just because there's so many books that cross genres. Like, okay, well, what I, did you put this in sci-fi or did you put this in mystery? Um, did you put this in vent in adventure or, you know, did you put it under romance? Cause it's got both. Um, so I think it's, you know, taking away, um, with that, but what are your feelings on, and I just kind of want to know this personally, uh, what are your feelings on like late, like putting stickers on books to kind of, help guide students that might just be scanning shelves looking for LGBTQ plus characters or looking for a mystery book or something like that? Um, I think it's important to, I think it'd be good to look into that and to see um, and maybe do a pilot school and see if that's really beneficial. But for a lot of students and, you know, we're looking at numbers and um, I think the number that we talked about in my live stream two days ago was 10%. Of Howard, of Howard County students identifying as LGBTQIA+. And that's the ones that have responded to the survey, and that's the ones we know about. That's pretty high. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's a lot higher than the national average. So the thing is, I if putting uh, stickers on books, and then when classes go to the library and there's a closeted student who wants to read an LGBTQ, uh, a book with LGBTQ characters or a book about LGBTQ history, I, I think 
we, we don't want to deter that student from getting that book because they don't want their peers to see about mm-hmm. it. So I think that's, again, why I'm against throwing in or taking out all the LGBTQ plus inclusive books and putting them in some separate section. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something to look into. It, it might be, it could be a good idea, but I, I just don't think that uh, we should necessarily be like maybe using color codes as like, so that if you don't, if you, if a student doesn't know what the color, like they just look, okay, sci-fi is green. So I'm just looking for green. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's not like very blatantly obvious or it's a little bit more discreet or something along those lines. I think might be beneficial. All right. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. I appreciate that. Everything you're doing is really beneficial for our community. So thank you. Uh, of, of course. And, um, you know, just really, we need to pave a better, a better path forward that includes all people. And, and, and that's yeah. really where all my campaign centers on. It's equity and justice for everybody. And so, like, again, just want to, I, I, as we end, or as wherever we're heading, I just want to emphasize the importance of an inclusive curriculum. That is, that is probably the biggest change that we can make that'll bring the ball forward. You know, there, there's, there's um, one president in, in America, which you don't learn about. There's one president who, um, uh, Buchanan, who lived with his, um, his male best friend and they adopted a child together. But, um, we don't learn about that. And it, you know what I mean? So hmm. it seems yeah. to be very whitewashing and, and putting in one version of history. Hmm. That is very interesting. I was not aware of that either. Yeah. If you, if you look it up, it's um, some historians, we didn't have the technology to know back then and records, but there, there is evidence that he uh, lived with his male best friend in the white house and adopted, they adopted a kid together. So, I mean, or take it as you will, but um, hmm. you know, I think it's important to learn about and to see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was unaware of that also. That's interesting. I'll definitely do some uh, some research. Well, no matter what the results are uh, next week, um, we wish you the best. And um, it's really awesome that we get to have you for one more year at HCPSS. And I look forward to yeah. hearing um, more of the awesome things that you're going to be doing. Of course. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Zach. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great experience to, uh, to to talk to you both because of coronavirus. We really don't, swap candidates really don't get to go to all these schools and interact with as many people as possible. So this is, a, I think, a great way to uh, have been interacting with people from other sides of the county. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great talking to you. The music featured at the start and end of our podcast is Work by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license.